for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. You're with Misty Winston on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Misty Winston Show here on today's News Talk. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to hang out with me today. And yes, the TNT uh, radio shop is uh, live, ready to go, ready for holiday orders. Um, There's shirts, mugs, hoodies, coasters, you name it, it's there. So go get yourself something, go get a loved one something for the holidays. Um, I am going to be ordering lots of things. <laughs> so go do uh, go do some uh, holiday shopping. Okay, uh, a couple quick things before we get started. Keith McHenry's back on the show. We're going to be bringing him in momentarily. I love my chats with Keith. There's much to discuss, obviously. First of all, can we just talk about how ridiculous, ridiculous it is that our president told a six-year-old girl that he likes her ears? Oh my God, it's so embarrassing that this guy is the leader of the free world. I don't even have words. I don't even have words. And I am very rarely left speechless. I am speechless on this one. Um, Yeah, I saw that today and I was... (laughs) mind blown. Uh, But I do want to actually talk about something that happened last week. Uh, Last week, I was a little bit focused on the David McBride case, obviously, whistleblower, life at risk, all of that good stuff. Um, uh, So and I have all have some more updates on that as things progress in that case, obviously. But also last week, the case um, uh, against the CIA and Mike Pompeo uh, kicked off. And that is going to be a very interesting case to watch that play out. So okay, so for those of you who don't know what this case is about, um, essentially, there was a Spanish security firm called UC Global, which was hired uh, initially by the Ecuadorian government to provide um, security. It was a security firm that was hired to provide security for Ecuador's diplomatic corps in London. So at the London Ecuadorian embassy. However, it was uh, fairly quickly co-opted uh, by the CIA and then funded by Sheldon Adelson to essentially become a spying service against Julian Assange while he was uh, there stuck in the Ecuadorian embassy. So, um, And that included uh, anybody that came to visit Julian Assange was spied on. And this has been talked about numerous times. Uh, Pamela Anderson, Anderson has done some uh, interviews about this as well. They even went as far as to put microphones in the women's bathroom because Assange, I remember everybody making fun of Julian Assange saying that he was paranoid. Um, He was holding meetings in the women's bathroom because he was afraid that they were spying on him and everybody was mocking him. Turns out he was right and they were spying on him. Um, So the case, there are four defendants who um, are now, uh, uh, I'm sorry, suing the CIA and Mike Pompeo, who was then CIA director, um, because while they were there visiting Julian Assange, they had a whole host of things. Their electronic devices were taken and photographed. Um, paperwork was taken and photocopied. All kinds of things happened. So um, I'm going to read here from, uh, this is from the dissenter. This is Kevin Gastola. I've talked about him numerous times on the show. He's a fantastic independent journalist who has been covering the Assange case really since like before day one. He uh, covered the Chelsea Manning court-martial and all of that stuff as well. So before any of uh, Assange's legal troubles kicked off, Kevin Gastola has been on this. So uh, this is from an article that he has out from yesterday. It says, a United States court held an extraordinary hearing on November 16th, where a judge carefully considered a lawsuit against the CIA and former CIA director Mike Pompeo for their alleged role in spying on American attorneys and journalists who visited WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Uh, Judge John Cottle of the Southern District of New York pushback when Assistant U.S. Attorney uh, Jean David Bernia refused to confirm or deny that the CIA had targeted Americans without obtaining a warrant. He also invited attorneys for the Americans to update the lawsuit so that claims of privacy violations explicitly dealt with the government's lack of a warrant. In August of 2022, four Americans sued the CIA and Mike Pompeo, Margaret Ratner Kunstler, I'm uh, trying to work on getting her on the show soon, uh, who is a civil rights activist and human rights attorney, uh, Deborah Herbeck, 
um, a media lawyer who represented Assange or WikiLeaks, journalist John Getz, who worked for Der Spiegel when the German media organization first partnered with WikiLeaks, and journalist Charles Glass, who wrote articles on Assange for The Intercept. Um, so they are the defendants in this case. Again, this is um, uh, pertaining to UC Global, which was, I mean, really just an arm of the CIA. They were spying on Julian Assange, all of his conversations, and that includes conversations with his legal team, conversations with his doctors, all of that stuff that should be um, uh, privileged information. They spied on that and uh, then they were sending it straight back to the CIA. Um, the CIA's attorneys are trying to argue that the Fourth Amendment does not protect um, American citizens outside of the United States. Um, so that is kind of the point of contention at this point. They are trying to argue that they've left some wiggle room for the um, uh, the defendants to go back in and kind of reevaluate their claims and reformulate their um, arguments. So that is what kicked off last week. Um, I'm going to be keeping a close eye on this. Obviously, I think it's a super interesting case. Um, kudos to these defendants for having the uh, courage to take on the CIA in this way. Uh, but this is definitely going to be um, very pertinent moving forward in terms of the Assange situation. So I'll keep an eye on this. It's really kind of in the very beginning stages. It just kicked off last week. Um, there are a couple different uh, journalists who are covering this. Uh, Matthew Russell Lee uh, is, I think, on the ground. I don't know that he is spending a ton of time on this case. He covers a lot of uh, court cases in New York. I don't know exactly how much time he's spending in particular in this courtroom, but he is there um, and he has been discussing it. And then also, obviously, Kevin Gastola um, will be covering it for the dissenter. So uh, those are a couple of good sources if you would like to follow along. Um, I will try to keep you updated here. Uh, but yeah, I think that that's uh, it's going to be interesting moving forward, seeing how this uh, plays out for sure, especially with um, uh, uh, just in general, the mood um, on the Assange case. And by the way, we have Gabriel Shipton coming on Thursday. So this is also who is Julian Assange's brother. This that's this is something that we can talk to him about on Thursday and get his take on it and uh, and where he thinks this is headed. So um, we'll keep an eye on that for sure. Okay. Uh, don't forget, you can follow me over on the tweeters at Sarcasm Stardust. You can check out the Substack at mistywinston.substack.com. There's a write-up for the guest of the day every day so that you can find, follow, and support their work as well. And if you would like to shoot me an email, you can do so at mistywinston at tntradio.live. Uh, if you have a guest idea, show idea, you want to rant about something, you have a question, whatever it is, hit me up. I will try to get back to you. And while you're at it, why not give TNT Radio a follow? We are on all the major social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. And you can help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Clashing on the controversies. It's a woke society and I am fed up with it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. Unusual cases of a fatal respiratory condition in dogs have appeared in several states as veterinarians scramble to determine what is causing the mysterious illness while encouraging people to take basic precautions to keep their pets healthy. I myself have cats, but this is very troubling. Here with the story, joining me now is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. So, all right, Adam, what the heck is going on? Why is everybody? Oh, this this is very uh, troubling to me. I love I love animals. <laughs> this makes me sad. Well, most of us do. I was going to ask you if you yeah. had any dogs, but you already answered that question. Awesome. Yeah. I, I don't have any dogs currently. My 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 pupper passed away a few years ago, but uh, the house mm. I'm in right now, my roommate's got two dogs. I'm watching and taking care of them. I love animals, too. I love dogs and cats. This is very sad to hear. But uh, as we explore this, you might say, wait a minute, this almost sounds like a COVID pandemic for dogs. <laughs> Canine COVID. It's pretty interesting. It is quite a mystery uh, and it is spreading in this it's a respiratory illness is what they're saying uh, in dogs. It's it's all over the place, uh, spreading across the country. 
Uh, veterinarians don't know much about the sickness, but they do have some recommendations, of course, including vaccines. I'm not making this up uh, to avoid the potentially deadly disease. So maybe maybe big pharma needs to make some money. Who knows? Uh, regardless, the uh, the vets have detected uh, this in. Uh, let's see there. We've got Oregon, Colorado and New Hampshire, are just some of the states that have seen cases of the illness. It's caused a lasting respiratory disease and pneumonia. And it doesn't respond to antibiotics. This is not good. Uh, symptoms of this illness in dogs, people, in case you're just tuning in, uh, include coughing, sneezing, nasal or eye discharge, and lethargy. I almost said that wrong. Some cases of the pneumonia progress quickly, making dogs very sick within 24 to 36 hours. Uh, the Oregon Department of Agriculture has documented more than 200 cases of the disease since mid-August. This is a pretty big deal. Uh, let's see. We had somebody talking to the Today Show. That would be Dr. Amanda Cavanaugh. That's the head of urgent care services at Colorado State University, James L. Voss Veterinary Teaching Hospital in Fort Collins, Colorado. Woo. Anyways, she said on the Today Show that she has seen dogs suffering from coughing bouts that last several weeks and even months since the summer and into the fall. Cavanaugh noted that the cases have doubled in the past month or so. Uh, let's see. She says that the pneumonia can be, quote unquote, really severe. And some of the dogs have died or had to be euthanized. Very sad. Quote, it seems to happen very, very quickly to go from this cough that just won't go away. And then all of a sudden they develop this pneumonia. End quote. That's Lindsay Ganser, a veterinarian and CEO at North Springs Veterinary Referral Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Ganser added that the sickness seems to develop also, quote, very, very quickly, end quote. Kevin Snev Snekvik, executive director of the Washington Animal Disease Diagnostic Lab, told KIRO-TV, quote, your dog will run a fever and they won't feel good. They'll become lethargic, meaning they want to lie around more when they normally want to be outside playing. And the coughing part of it, that becomes more productive, like a wet cough, like a hacking cough, end quote. Um, Going back to the Oregon Department of Agriculture, they've identified symptoms of the puzzling disease, including sneezing, eye or nose discharge, discharge fatigue, blue or purple gums from oxygen deprivation, trouble breathing, and negative tests for other common respiratory illnesses. See what I mean? How this almost sounds like COVID for dogs. This is yeah. crazy. Uh, the Oregon Department of Agriculture said that the sickness develops in three ways, a mild to moderate cough for six to eight weeks that doesn't respond to antibiotics or responds slightly chronic pneumonia that doesn't respond to antibiotics or severe pneumonia that, quote, often leads to poor outcomes in as little as 24 to 36 hours. Uh, so you, the cases that have been reported include Oregon, Colorado, New Hampshire, and the surrounding Northeast area, California, Indiana, Illinois, Washington State, Idaho, Georgia, and Florida. Uh, some recommendations from the veterinarians are to make sure that the pets are up to date on vaccines, including canine influenza, bordetella, and para-influenza. Uh, they also say that you should advise having your dog avoid close contact with other dogs at groomers, like don't go get your hair cut, uh, daycare, boarding kennels, and dog parks. That's right. So we need to social distance the dogs now, Misty. Um but I, I'm joking, but I'm, you know, it's hard to make, you know, not make that correlation these days. Right. But what do you think? 
No, it, yes, thank you. I, I, when you sent me this story and I was checking it out, which by the way, I appreciate the fact that you're bringing this story because I had not heard of this. I myself do not have dogs. I have many friends that do though. My best friend from the gym uh, has three dogs. And so I immediately sent this to her. Uh, but yeah, it, when I, 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 same thought, this sounds a whole lot like COVID, sounds a whole lot like uh, some vaccine manufacturers need some money. And it makes me angry that that's the first thought that I have to go to, that we have, that we have so much distrust uh, and even our pet medical uh industrial complex that we can't even just take them at their word and just think that this is legit and that we need to you know take precautions for our animals obviously you should take precautions for your animals but it just makes me angry that i have to immediately be very skeptical of these kinds of things that come out uh and question the intent behind it but this just i mean if you have dogs it's better safe than sorry. It's not like it's difficult to keep your dog away from other dogs. I mean, if you, if you can just walk them solo or whatever, try to avoid the dog park, it's better safe than sorry, in my opinion. I mean, you never know. I um don't I don't handle pets getting sick very well. I lost my one of my cats last year, and it was like one of the most devastating things. And it was a very quick thing too. He had fatty liver disease, and it just like overnight he was just very ill and not eating. Um, and so yeah, I mean, it, whatever you can do to protect your pets, I think obviously is a good thing. Um, but it seems I it is. It is a little bit uh, suspicious to me, um, but I don't know. I mean, it, I guess we'll have to keep an eye on it. it. I guess it's been developing for some time now, I guess through the summer and now into the fall. Um, and it seems as if it's at least 10 states. So it seems pretty significant, but uh, I, I would just be cautious, uh, but don't be paranoid. I would say don't be super paranoid about it. I think just take whatever precautions you can and just uh, go, just keep an eye on your pets, make sure that they're uh, feeling okay, make sure they're hydrated and eating properly and all that good stuff. Um, but I'm not a vet. So I don't know, Adam, what do you think? <laughs> well, I don't want to be any more conspiratorial than need be, but you know, this could this could flip the this, this script very quickly and it could suddenly like, oh, oh, my goodness. Now this this bizarre canine disease, whatever they call it, is is jumped to humans. They love to do that sort of thing. <laughs> Plus, also, oh. there's always there's always this idea that we, we we understand, we suspect that they're that the proverbial air quotes, they have a plan for another big pandemic. And, you know, it's it's been a little while. We're kind of out of practice. We've had a break. Maybe this is a way to a beta test to get people back to the 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 rigmarole, jumping through some hoops in the name of a public health emergency. Who knows, Misty? Doesn't it make you mad that that's where we're at? Like that's the level of distrust that we have in our public institutions because that makes me angry. And I mean, obviously, I've always been incredibly skeptical of our uh, health institutions and all of that stuff. But post COVID, it is like hypercritical, hyper skepticism. Uh, and I think that that's um, it's really unfortunate that that's where we're at and that that's the level of suspicion that we all have to have. I mean, these are institutions that we should be able to trust that should be telling us the truth that should be working in the public interest. They're very clearly not, uh, and that just makes me angry, frankly. And so, yeah, it's unfortunate that that's where we're at. Um, and I can totally I mean, it's not even that we have to, um, uh, you know, pretend as if they might be uh, bringing another pandemic our way. They've said it out loud. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Bill Gates has been saying it out loud numerous times. There's going to be another pandemic. And so uh, we know that their intentions are to bring this stuff back around. We know that they've been I mean, I think that they uh, there was some uh, rumblings about possibly bringing back some of the mask restrictions and things on airlines that seemed to have died down. I know that that was a couple months ago. We heard that maybe in the fall there was going to be some of those things that would crop back up. I don't think that they did, frankly. I don't travel that much, so I don't know. I could be wrong. And if I am, feel free to correct me. But I don't think that any of that stuff was really ever brought back uh, uh, that I heard of. So, um, But there was some rumblings about that. And I think that there's been some conversations. I think that they're, they learned a lot. <laughs> 
about what happened uh, during the three and a half years or whatever that we've been in COVID time. And I think they're going to use that information. Uh, we just talked last week to Charlie Robinson about this. They're going to use that information moving forward on how to better screw us over next time. So I think we, we unfortunately, we have to be hyper vigilant, hyper skeptical, um, keep your head on a swivel, pay attention, uh, and obviously protect your pets. <laughs> That's really what it boils down to. Protect your puppies, please. I love dogs. Protect your dogs. I would have dogs, but my oldest is afraid of them. So uh, protect your puppies and I will pet them anytime that we meet because I love dogs very much. So Adam, thanks for bringing us this story. We will talk to you again tomorrow. As always, hang tight. We are going to be back right after this with our guest here on TNT Radio. You should hear what Patrick Henningsen's talking about. So all the Israelis are really escalating air attacks and bombing attacks uh, to a degree that we haven't even seen before. Why this escalation? Why is it happening right now? This is a big problem. And this has been going on now for four weeks, ladies and gentlemen, and still no calls for a ceasefire, no definitive or categorical calls anyway from the U.S. leadership, from those who, from the onset, let's face it, they were backing this military action by Israel uh, on the Gaza Strip. And everybody thought, well, how bad could it be? How long could it go? Here we are a month later. We're still here. We're still talking to you. We're still reporting this. And another hospital was uh, hit last night as well. Well over 30 medical facilities and hospitals have been uh, hit and uh, taken out of action, in some cases pulverized by the Israeli occupation forces, or the IDF as it's uh, widely known. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Anticipate potential delays for the morning commute. In other news, a recent government report on prescription drug pricing points to corporate mouth. Freedom of the press is about your right to know. What are you talking about, man? Look at his stats. It's about your right to be informed. Your right to access all types of information keeps us free as a nation. No, 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 no. Today, there are real threats to press freedom. And your right to know about the world around us. Look. Some threats are obvious, some are easy to miss, but they all put our way of life at risk. We must defend against all of these threats, no matter what kind of news is important to you. Justified putting American troops in harm's way. That's a great question. We must protect our right to know before it's too late. Understand the threats. Protectpressfreedom.org. CO2 sustains all life on Earth, but now it's in long-term decline. We face the return of an ice age. We mandate that the truth be told. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. Our guest today is our pal, Keith McHenry, who is back. Uh, He was just on last week. We had a great conversation. Always love my chats with Keith. He co-founded the group Food Not Bombs with seven friends in Boston uh, in the 80s. And since then, he has spent decades feeding the hungry and oftentimes getting arrested for it, which always fascinates me. Uh, He's also the author whose books include Hungry for Peace, How You Can Help in Poverty and War with Food Not Bombs, and The Anarchist Cookbook. Uh, Keith now lives in Santa Cruz, where he runs a chapter of Food Not Bombs and also continues to feed people and helps coordinate logistics for Food Not Bombs globally. You can follow Keith on Twitter at Keith underscore McHenry, and you can check out Food Not Bombs and make a donation if you do so feel inclined at foodnotbombs.net. Keith, thanks so much for being here, my friend. Yeah, thank you, Misty. Wow. Yeah. Very it's always good to have you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. So again, you're basically you and Dennis Bernstein at Flashpoints. Is my entire media world. 
<laughs> That's crazy to me, Keith. I, you, I know you said that last time. And now, frankly, I feel a little bit bad because it's been so long since I had you on. Uh, I cannot believe more people are not taking advantage of um, uh, your knowledge and your perspective and that it blows my mind. So I'm glad that you're here. You're welcome back here anytime. Um, so I wanted to start by last time we last time you were here, we talked a little bit. We touched on it briefly about um, the correlation between the dehumanizing language that's being used against Palestinians currently and the way that that very same or very similar dehumanizing language is used against the homeless, which is um, obviously where you have uh, dedicated your time and passion for many years. Um, so talk a little bit about that, because I feel like that is a really important connection to make to see how um, this type of language is used universally anytime that there is kind of uh, this oppressive sort of thing that's taking place and how, it, unfortunately, it is very effective. Yeah, well, you could see even from the beginning of the of the uh in the colonial time in the here in North America, they were like the savages, the savages, you know? Yeah. And therefore you can eliminate, you can do your first big genocide, you know, if you're from Spain or Portugal or, or England or Netherlands, because they're just savages. And, and, and I think this, um, so when I was in Palestine and, and visiting, um, food, not bombs in Tel Aviv, they would frequently, and other, you know, their friends, uh, that we'd run across in cafes and so on, would remind me that it was legal to shoot a Palestinian and kill him or hang him or burn him or whatever you want to do to a Palestinian. There would never be an investigation. But if you shot a dog, you would be fined 2,000 shekels. And then when this uh, current war started up and there were so many people like Nikki Haley, like, um, well, the, the uh, Minister of Defense and in Israel, calling the people of Palestine human animals, it, it's just like it, it's it's outrageous. And so, one of the things that in you know there was this big pro genocide rally in D.C. where they claimed two hundred ninety thousand people showed up, and um, and a, and a uh, former friend of mine, Van Jones, uh, spoke at that rally, and. Uh, and and because he had made the mistake of of saying something about not bombing uh you know Israel or Gaza he there's a massive chant of no ceasefire no ceasefire which is the if there were 290,000 people there which is probably not likely um who however many people that were there the fact that they were knowingly in the United States in the Washington Monument, and many of them were elected officials on the stage, um, chanting to kill more babies. We've been watching these people, you know, children being pulled out of rubble, run yeah. through the streets all dirty. Some of the videos, I can't even share them on Twitter. I mean, there's one today where just sections of a of a child's body on a yeah. beat carried in, in in chunks, you know. It's so gruesome. And to ha know that we live with Americans who want more children and families killed and can openly chant. It's, it's just like, you know, it's worse than Iran, death to America. That's a country. It's a slogan. We overthrew their government. We killed their people. I had friends that were that were involved, that were left friends, that were very active in trying to overthrow the Shah, who then, of course, just get upset, or maybe not, of course, but then get tortured and everything and then flee to the United States. But, you know, 
and and then I had a classmate who was in the embassy for much of the time. Um, she was a, a a journalism student at Boston University, and she uh, Terry Taylor, and I was one of the drops. She would mail out the CIA stuff out of the uh, that they were pasting together. There's even a, mo a Hollywood movie about them taping all the CIA documents together. I forget the name of the movie, um, but but um, you know, so that so. The idea that you could actually be in the United States at the Washington Mall chanting for the death of more kids and not be embarrassed by that is yeah. frightening. Then the yes. other interesting thing about Van, the Van Jones trip, you know, I first uh, Van Jones used to be the legal, uh, the the National Lawyers Guild observer for the arrests of food not bombs in San Francisco. And then there was like this. Uh, we had the Rodney King uprising and uh, Van was. Um, and I were happily standing near each other uh, at the beginning of the riot. And he had a storm banner. And I had this three-lane Food Not Bombs banner with all my friends. And he wanted to go to the Western Edition, which is the Black neighborhood, to have the, move the riot that way. And I was like, we don't want to burn down Black people's homes. I was yeah. in the Martin Luther King riots in Philadelphia. Watched, I, you know, my the hotel room I was in filled with smoke. I, you know, saw like the army on the streets and what was going on with that. And I was like, no, oh, we should go to the Knob Hill or to Pacific Heights, actually, what I said, which is the rich neighborhood. I'm like, look at that's where the the people are. The cops are beating us up and killing us, and the behalf of them, let's go there. And fortunately, my banner, being bigger than his banner. Very male <laughs> concept. <laughs> we went, we, we went, we went to Nob Hill. We went to Nob Hill, and everybody followed my banner. <laughs> and that was really Van wonderful. Jones. Keith Van Jones has changed. Holy cow! I, I've seen videos of him from years ago where he was, uh, you know, he did a song uh, with Mumia. Uh, I mean, he is a whole different person. And yes, the idea that he went to this. First of all, the fact that he went to this uh, pro genocide rally, which let's just be real, that's what it was. Um, um, and the fact that he went there and then, uh, you know, very tepidly just tried kind of to suggest that maybe we should not be bombing innocent civilians, including thousands of children. And for him to get shouted down the way that he did. I hope he's embarrassed. I hope he feels so much shame. I don't know. I think he probably has lost his ability for shame over the years. Uh, but I really genuinely hope that he feels stupid for going because that was I don't know what he thought he was doing there. But the idea that I mean, there was people there chanting no ceasefire when we know as you said there's it's not like they're hiding it we have tons of videos uh, really unbelievably gruesome videos that i have shared some of them on twitter i feel bad every time i do because it is horrific but i feel like people need to see it um but that's what you're co-signing that is what you're the murder of children because gaza is a city of children half of the population in gaza are under the age of 18 and so if you are um endorsing and um uh, uh supporting what israel is doing there right now you are supporting the mass slaughter of children period there's just no other way to say it so yeah i don't know what van jones thought he was doing there but it was not a good look so let's take a quick break and get some headlines we're going to be back with more from keith mckenry here on tnt radio here we go. tnt radio news news tnt radio news this is james o'neill the democrat party is reportedly trying to reconcile that president joe biden who turns 81 today is the leading democrat candidate for the 2024 presidential election the Democrats' fear about Biden's age is predicated upon their worry he will lose to former President Donald Trump next November. A man has been charged in Victoria for allegedly performing the Nazi salute in Melbourne, Victoria. 
He's the second to have been arrested over the new laws that passed the Victorian Parliament in October. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, we are we are here joined by Keith McHenry, um, and we're talking about the Israel-Palestine situation, and we were just discussing the uh, unbelievable mass slaughter that is taking place, and I just want to give people a somewhat updated death uh, toll. Uh, it's it's obviously very fluid, and this is from yesterday from a journalist on the ground there. Uh, they're saying over 13,000 Palestinians have been cl- and killed, including 500, or I'm sorry, 5,500 children, 3,500 women, <clears throat> excuse me, and there's uh, over 6,000 missing. And Keith, that's what gets me the missing, because I I can't stop thinking about it. Um, all of these people who have been buried under rubble, uh, who knows how many of them were buried alive? Um, and there's no way for the people of Palestine to dig them out. They don't have the equipment that is necessary to do so. Uh, many times we saw them attempting to dig people out by hand. Sometimes they were successful, other times not. Um, and th- we have no idea how many people under there were buried alive. And that includes babies and children who were just stuck underneath of there alone in the dark. Uh, hungry uh, and just dying, I think what has to be one of the absolute worst possible deaths imaginable. Um, And that is devastating to me. And so that's what's so frustrating when I see somebody like Evan Jones, who I know knows better, uh, show up to a rally like he did. Um, And I I mean, I, 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 I realize he attempted to like devil's advocate, hey, there should be a ceasefire. Uh, To me, that's just not good enough. No, well, it's interesting too, because uh, the other thing that came to mind uh, in this conflict is you can see the Anti-Defamation League is in this like uh, anti-Semitism campaign that they're doing where they apparently pay people to put up posters for the kidnapped children. And then they must stand there the whole time for hours and hours and hours, if you want to believe the propaganda, or they are paying somebody to come tear the pictures down and videotape it because there's videotapes of that all over America. And it just gives the impression that there's literally hundreds and hundreds of people standing around light poles waiting for someone to tear down a, a, some flyers so they could videotape it to get it in this anti-Semitism thing. So the ADL, when Van Jones, during this period where I, be, he, so Van Jones bio claims that he was in jail for uh, 14 hours with somebody and the conversation with that person changed his heart and he decided to become a civil rights activist ever since. That person is me. And uh, he, we were arrested among, uh, we were, he was the legal observer and 200 of us were arrested and we were stuck in jail for 14 hours. And um, and at one point he publicly you know, admitted that that was me, but then that became inconvenient. But the other issue that was happening was at that exact same time, this spy scandal started. And mm-hmm. the, I found out about this spy scandal with the ADL and a uh, San Francisco police officer named Tom Gerard. So Roy Bullock and Tom Gerard uh, became the fall people for an operation that involved the ADL, where they're paying like one hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars a year to to uh, pretend um, um, antiques dealer in the Castro, get, get local gay activist. And he would come to the Food Not Bombs meetings. He'd go to every meeting and so on. And he and this former CIA agent named Tom Gerard, uh, who he was, um, there's a, people might not realize this, but there's an exchange program. So Tom Gerard used to be called the weatherman. He was the one running the, the drive-by shootings for the SFPD in San Francisco. And then he, after years of doing that, he got sent to El Salvador to torture labor organizers in San Salvador. 
And then he came back to be a spy uh, for the San Francisco Police Department again. And his job, one of them, was to coordinate with Roy Bullock of the ADL and spying on left activists. So his, his, the way I found out about him before it became a news story was that I would get $5,000 roughly um, every uh, um, February in parking tickets, which were never put on my car, my truck. But I would, when I go down to register my vehicle for March, then I would have all these parking tickets. Well, the Palestinian American State Assembly person had the same problem, but he had money. He hired a private investigator, found out that Tom Jard was sitting in a houseboat in Sausalito, inputting parking tickets and traffic violations to public and to the enemies of the state, of which I was one, this Palestinian uh, American Assembly person was one, and so on. And they were also selling this information to um, all kinds of other uh, organizations, um, including the um, South African secret police, because there was apartheid government at that time, Mossad, because we were protesting for Palestinian rights at that time. And so that became a very big deal at the every Wednesday at the police commission meeting. And Van Jones would come to those police commission meetings every Wednesday, and he would speak out as uh, you know, a civil rights uh, attorney um, against the ADL and their spying techniques. So it's fascinating all these years later, knowing that history, because he was there that whole time, how could he be, um, you know, like so stupid as to go to a I stand with Israel thing? It's, it's, it's really incredible. Uh, last time I saw Van Jones, I was um, doing a protest at the White House uh, mocking Obama. So I had a, 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 a daily protest every day for the first summer of Obama's administration where I would set up a solar oven in front of the White House. I'd make a, um, what we called solar White, uh, White House um, solar bread. And so I was also writing my second book, which is Hungry for Peace. And I'd go to Cozy's at the end of the block to write because it was like if you've hung out in dc in the summer it's hot as can be it's a nightmare and so i i would go there to air conditioning and write take my break where the other protester would keep uh, um, um things going and he would come in to get his lunch there so we would talk and the the same weekend that he gets fired by glenn beck you know glenn beck did this whole campaign because he was in a uh, communist with this storm and he goes, yeah. yeah, it looks like I'll be fired from the Obama administration being the green czar guy this week because of Glenn Beck. And, and uh, he was all happy about that for whatever reason, I guess. he. Yeah, I don't think Van that. Jones is stupid, Keith. I think Van Jones is um, a, an opportunist. I think that he recognized where there was going to be opportunity for him to move forward in his own personal career. And I mean, exactly. listen. I get it. You know what I mean? Like, I understand how the world works. I, I, I but I, it, to me, I just think it's, um, it's very telling those people who are willing to sell out their souls, uh, for personal advancement. And I think that that's likely what Van, the kind of person that Van Jones is, because I mean, y'all, this is not me making it up. Go back and look, there's tons of videos of him online from years and years and years ago, where he is a completely different person, completely different set of, uh, principles and values. And I'm not saying that people can't change, uh, but to have that radical of a change, 
uh, I think is uh, fairly disingenuous. And, uh, you know, to be uh, again, it was a pro genocide rally, Keith. We need to be uh, just uh, just yeah. straight up about it. And the, the idea that there was 290,000 people there is laughable. There was not 290,000 people there. And that's uh, I don't even know, we don't even know how many people were paid. We saw that there was uh, a, a thing put up for students that you could get $250 uh, a, a grant to, to go to and, and attend this protest. So um, I think that it is just I mean, it's it, it's fascinating to watch this stuff play out because I think that the PSYOP aspect of it, the propaganda aspect of it is obviously very educational. And to watch this stuff in real time, I think is endlessly fascinating, but it's also incredibly depressing because as I said, it is unfortunately incredibly effective. So we have to take another quick break. Hang tight. We're going to be right back here on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Who says legislation isn't a contact sport? We nearly came to blows today in the United States Senate as Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma squared off against Sean Butterbean O'Brien, the general president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. O'Brien had been very critical of Mullen on X, tweeting, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made. Just a clown and a fraud, always has been, always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me, any place, any time, cowboy. Mark Wayne Mullen read that tweet and said, here is a place, now is a time you want to go? And Butterbean said, let's go. Cooler heads like Bernie Sanders intervened. They weren't going to come to blows anyway. This wasn't quite the caning of abolitionist Republican Senator Charles Sumner by pro-slavery Democrat Senator Preston Brooks of South Carolina in 1856, but it was good to see a Republican show a little spine, show a little enthusiasm for his position. Now, if we can only get Mark Wayne as focused on election integrity efforts and on budgetary issues as he is on posts on X. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go, but I did ask for help and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there, providing hot meals, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed and I'm succeeding. To learn more, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. Misty Winston on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, we're here with Keith McHenry. We're talking about Israel-Palestine. And I wanted to, I mean, we just touched on briefly the unfortunate effectiveness of propaganda. And as somebody, if you know me, you know I'm obsessed a little bit with propaganda, the way that it works. I am constantly looking into it, researching it, all of that stuff. Uh, and I think that that's, um, uh, I think it's an important conversation to have because I think a lot of people are just unaware of, I mean, I, I know people hear the word propaganda all of the time, but I don't think that they really, uh, beyond a surface level, uh, the, I don't think the average American person understands what it is, how it is used, um, and the levels to which they go. They've been studying us for decades. They know which buttons to push. They know which words to say. They know which commercials to run. They know exactly how uh, to work us, essentially. And um, Caitlin Johnstone has a great tweet out um, from today where she says, Israel apologists say anyone who criticizes Israel does so because they're an anti-Semite. When asked for evidence that the accused is an anti-Semite, they will point to the criticisms of Israel as their evidence. This is called circular reasoning, and it's a logical fallacy. This fallacious reasoning 
marketing occurs with big picture analysis too. Narrative management operations like the Anti-Defamation League try to divert criticism of Israeli atrocities in Gaza by pointing to giant spikes and anti-Semitic incidents since October 7th. But if you look at the actual data they're using to make that claim, they're citing things like pro-Palestine demonstrations as incidents of anti-Semitism, including pro-Palestine demonstrations by Jewish groups. Uh, We're told to be careful about criticizing Israel because there's a surge in anti-Semitism and as evidence that there's a surge in anti-Semitism, they cite criticism of Israel. This is circular reasoning. Actual hatred of Jews absolutely does exist in Western society, but it's much more peripheral than racism against immigrants and people of color. You don't typically see the average Westerner espousing a hatred of Jewish people unless they dive down uh, some pretty obscure and fringy rabbit holes that leave them babbling about the protocols of the elders of Zion and denying the Holocaust and such nonsense. Jewish people simply are not othered that much in Western society compared to other minorities. So if an Israel apologist needs to shout down Western criticism of Israeli atrocities as arising from a hatred of Jews, they must necessarily resort to a fallacious reasoning. And that, Keith, I think that that's so important because we're seeing that happen. If you just say that Palestinians deserve human rights, you are anti-Semitic. And that is crazy to me, Keith. It's nuts, yeah, well, but it's working. You, you, yeah, well, also, it seems like um, it's pretty clear that the FBI... Uh, is operating this um, scam where they get a bunch of people. Some of them might be real neo-Nazis, but to get march them all and like they yeah. have what this like blood people that were in Madison, Wisconsin. And it's so it, the pattern's always the same. They always get in a rental vehicle at the end. Um, yeah. They all look exactly the same. And that one that was down in Orlando that happened, um, it ended up, I, you know, this is the other beautiful thing about this very tragic time is how many prominent Jewish voices are coming out yes. against the genocide. And I remember watching both uh, Aaron Maté and Max Blumenthal and Grey Zone. Everybody should be checking that out. That I mean, because I, you know, the thing is that there's, when I hear, um, you know, Max talk about Palestine, it's my experience of Palestine. I mean, yeah. you've been, I was there in 2003, um, and the day I arrived, Anarchist Against the, the Wall had just done their first action. Those were Funopalm's kids who, first of all, refused to join the IDF, were went to prison, got out, started Funopalm's, then did a peace camp on the West Bank, and I, and, and, uh, which they took me to all the areas around. But they, had, they actually went, they decided at the peace camp that they would start this group called Anarchists Against the Wall. And what they had done on December 26, uh, 2003, is they were in the West Bank. Anybody can go to the West Bank, um, to the Palestinian parts. There's no restrictions. You can, if you are Palestinian, you cannot go even to visit other parts of Palestine. Yeah. You know, it's really incredible. Um, but anyway, so they came up to, so the Jewish people, the anti-Zionist Jewish food not bombs kids, they came to the, this area where there was a, gate where the IDF could enter in and out of to terrorize these people. And they actually, with bolt cutters, cut the thing apart. And the IDF arrived because they monitor every square inch of the fencing of Palestine, including Gaza, where the October 7th event occurred. And they, um, you know, and I saw, you could see it with your own eyes. You go go there. It's completely obvious how, like, it's a prison even in the West Bank. Yeah. And um, so they shot live ammo, and it was the first time that a, that a Jewish protester was actually injured by the IDF at a protest with live fire. And um, so Gil fortunately survived. But but you see these like propaganda scams that are going on and on and on with uh, 
like these phony marches, including these people that, that Max talked about, where they showed that the some of the guys running that blood, whatever it is that was in Madison, were actually fighting with Nazis. There are Nazis, but they were hired by the US CIA to yeah. fight in Ukraine. Um, yeah. So the, and then, um, sadly, I've been connected with uh, Antifa, which changed its name to to Antifa for some weird reason. I guess to get rid of the anti-fascist aspect of Antifa. So I thought that was fascinating because we called, we talked about Antifa since uh, in the '90s. Uh, that grew out of actually defending Turkish uh, dorms in in West Germany from Nazis trying to kill Turks, but then it got taken over by the FBI, I would suspect before um, the World Trade Organization protest in, in Seattle in, in, uh, in 99, because that was, um, it turned out many of the people that were breaking the windows at Nike and Starbucks and stuff turned out to be FBI agents. And you can yeah. see now, just like before uh, Hitler came to power or in the month, years as he was coming to power, that they would pit uh, communists and, and, you know, uh, I guess, uh, national socialists for whatever term that uh, they were using, which were both sides were f often funded by the same U.S. corporations in the United yeah. States to fight yeah. each other on the streets, just like what the FBI is doing on the streets now. And you can yes. say January, January 6th, I, I don't recall if you were there with Steve and everybody, but the, I left but that the, morning. Yeah. But every, my, uh, everybody's like, because there was the Assange protest that was surrounded by police, which I'm sure yeah. you can testify to because you were yes. at it. And then, yes. you, then uh, you know, my my uh, girlfriend, Kathleen, and I um, were sitting there watching it on TV out here in California. And we're like, this is definitely infiltrated. Dude, that was crazy. That was crazy. Yeah. Yes, I was there. So the Julian Assange, uh, the verdict was read on January 4th. And so we were in Washington, D.C. We held multiple events during that weekend. And I'm not joking. When Keith says that our tiny, tiny, there was like maybe 25, 30 of us. Uh, there was probably two or three cops for each protester at our event. Um, and we were fully uh, um, peaceful. We had there was we didn't do any civil uh, nothing. We did. We did nothing. We just uh, were protesting. Um, and there were so many cops there surrounding us. And then um, uh, I had to leave the morning of January 6th because I had to get back to my kids. Um, but then when I saw the situation playing out there, I could, I mean, and I'm not the only one, multiple people, the day that that happened, I was like, this is obviously a setup. This is obviously a psyop. And MAGA got uh pulled in and and i mean it, i feel i feel genuinely bad for a lot of them because they had no idea i think what they were walking into and i think that's why this conversation is so important because what you just said this happens all the time y'all uh but black lives matter protests with all the bricks thrown through the windows and all of that stuff it's crazy how suddenly a pallet full of bricks just happened to appear on the streets during a black lives matter event uh that happens all the time the the feds get involved and they are the instigators and they are the infiltrators and they're the ones that come out there and they're agent provocateurs and they 
uh, caused chaos. We saw, uh, okay, allegedly, Ray Epps, if we're going to talk about January 6th, my guy was out on the street doing the most fed stuff I've ever seen. And I've been to a lot of protests. I mean, the guy was out there yelling at the top of his lungs, we're going to go into the Capitol. At the, and he, no, he has, there's been no charges against Ray Epps. That, now, there's been charges against some grandma who was taking selfies uh, with some cops. She's in prison. Uh, Ray Epps is walking around, no, uh, no problem whatsoever. And so this happens all the time. And they want, the reason why they wanted Black Lives Matter to be chaotic is because they want the right to think that Black Lives Matter is nothing but a bunch of thugs who are burning down cities. And they want you fighting amongst yourselves. And they do the same exact thing with January 6th. They want the left to hate January 6th uh, uh, protesters. And so they cause chaos. And that's what they do. And it's uh, unfortunately unbelievably effective because people have not realized and not learned how to see through that stuff. And it is really frustrating. And also, thank you uh, for bringing up the numerous Jewish voices, because I have said numerous times, and I've taken a lot of heat for this. I think, in my opinion, Keith, that right now, the most powerful voice is the anti-Zionist Jewish voice. That is my opinion. And I am not, when I say that, I don't mean to diminish Palestinian voices. Obviously, they can and have been standing up for themselves for decades. I don't know. There's absolutely no way you can deny that. But in the fight against Zionism, which I think this is what we're in, um, the anti-Zionist Jewish voice is so important. And there are so many people in our own Patrick Henningsen, who has a show here on TNT Radio. Shout out to Patrick. Uh, he tweeted uh, a couple of days ago. It's amazing to see the general public realizing that Norman Finkelstein is a top G and brilliant orator and that Ben Shapiro is a spoiled little warmongering propagandist and a complete coward who was petrified to publicly debate Professor Finkelstein. And that, I think, to me has been really um, encouraging because so many people who didn't know who Finkelstein is, who didn't know who Max Blumenthal was, who had never heard of Jewish Voices for Peace, are now seeing those voices um, and listening, actually listening to what they're saying. And I think it's making an unbelievable difference. Oh, absolutely. I don't think they would even be talking about this so-called um, humanitarian pause in yeah. a genocide. Well, I mean, that, that's even the, whoever... What think tank has come what up is with that? all these languages is amazing, <laughs> yeah. you know? But And that somehow that is preferable to a ceasefire and yeah. neither of which are going to happen um you know it's it, it basic it, it's really frightening and then also this intentional pretending like oh just go into the sinai desert uh this has not been a 75 year struggle to defend where you actually were your family you know everybody people in palestine have keys to the house that their great grandparents gave them Think, yeah. and, and there's beautiful stories, actually, of, of Palestinians welcoming in the first Jews from the Holocaust and, and, and sharing their yes. own houses with them, only to come back and find their houses were taken over by mm-hmm. Zionists. And, and then, so it, it, it's, um, you know, Mike, uh, and, uh, and then back to the, I think we're going to have a false flag, so to speak. For sure. Um, because that's what the whole oh, Hamas is everywhere in America type of story that's going yep. on. And oddly enough, my grandfather, uh, um, uh, uh, John Phelan, um, he was an OSS and he worked under Curtis LeMay. And he, my grandfather, uh, was, tr- you know, nurturing me to join his, this, uh, you know, genetically superior group that he belonged to, supposedly. Um, and he he organized, he was the director of the most deadly bombing campaign in world history called Operation Meeting House. And he had photos in his den uh, of 
that he took from 30,000 feet of the firebombing to Tokyo so he knew how to burn more. Well, I was listening to early on, there was some interview with uh, um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. where he discusses an interview, uh, listening to his uncle RFK talk with Curtis LeMay. And Curtis LeMay had proposed the idea of bombing a mall in Miami that they could blame on Castro to justify mm -hmm. going in. And this is part of that Bay of Pigs um, uh, struggle, which becomes a Cuban Missile Crisis struggle. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and that's the same Curtis LeMay that my grandfather was trying to convince to drop the atomic bomb on Hanoi to send a message to um, the communists that capitalism was number one and yeah. basically and, and couldn't be messed with. So the thing that I, I really want to point out about this story is that these people, he was in a satanic cult. He graduated from Harvard Law, Dartmouth, Exeter, just like um, um, Bush uh, Sr. And they don't, that he uh, 100% was like, kill as many people as you want. Because the most important thing is to defend capitalism. There is no other thing. And that's who's running the country right now. They, yeah. they don't care how many people they kill. And we need to be really worried about that because the propaganda is horrible. Is what, uh, in what, you know, the, if you're watching closely what IDF and Israel is putting out, you know, like, um, oh, no, the 40 dead babies, but, you know, yeah. severed heads, but you don't find it, um, you know, oh, they bought, you know, Hamas bombed all these cars at this, um, you know, uh, you know, at the raid. The raid was accidentally put up against the wall of Gaza the couple of days before. We don't know why. Um, one thing after another, you can see that the likelihood of that being of, of, of some kind of either, it just seems uh, uh, there's lots of former IDF people that think it's very bizarre because that the that Hamas could come over the wall and yeah. they would not know it. Well, it's supposed to be the most sophisticated surveillance network. Israel brags about it all the time. And for some reason, they didn't. They weren't. They know where Hamas is now. Like they can pinpoint that Hamas is in the basement of Al Shifa Hospital. But on October 7th, they had no idea that there was a longstanding plan to invade Israel and commit this thing. And th then there was no response for eight hours. That's suspect, Keith. And it's uh, uh, I think that people are just completely overlooking that aspect of it, where um, we know that Israel is incredibly adapt at surveillance we i mean listen they sell they sell their surveillance technology to every country around the world all of the countries you know what i mean like that's yeah. what they do and so the idea that they were complete just completely caught off guard and unaware that this was going to take place i think is unbelievable in my opinion and i uh, there are people who will argue with me about it and that's fine i'm willing to have that debate but i just think that it's certainly something that we should be asking questions about and uh not enough people are doing that and uh, it, if you just look at our history uh they false flags are everywhere and they do this all the time in order to manufacture consent and justify their atrocities and that's i mean we've seen it how many times uh, uh the, the gulf of tonkin weapons of mass destruction the syrian gas attack i mean we, we could just keep going on and on and on and yeah. so i think that those are conversations and questions that should absolutely be taking place and uh, be asked um and it's, it's certainly not anti-semitic to ask them and it's just ridiculous and i'm so tired of that accusation being slung around because frankly it genuinely diminishes actual cases of anti-semitism uh and i think that that is an incredibly dangerous thing that they are doing that they are watering down those claims that they 
they are taking the meaning away from that word uh, because that is something that is absolutely a problem that exists. Um, and the way that they're flinging it around all willy nilly and it means nothing now, I think is incredibly dangerous to to, actu to, to Jewish people. Um, so it's just really unfortunate. All right, Keith, unfortunately we're out of time. Everybody, please go check Keith out. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Keith underscore McHenry. You can check out Food Not Bombs at foodnotbombs.net. Uh, please go check him out. Find a, um, a chapter near you. Donate, uh, you know, go and volunteer, all that good stuff. Uh, Keith, I'll be in touch. We'll have you back real soon. I appreciate you taking the time. As Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now, and don't go anywhere. Timothy Shea's right after this, right here on TNT Radio.